Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you would give us this day the spiritual food that our souls need. We know that we can go through the form. The preacher can have his say. But we pray that it would be more than that. That in sovereign mercy, you would take the things that are said and that you would multiply it to the heart and to the souls of all who hear. We pray that you would quicken our souls. Bless us to enjoy thy great salvation. We pray, Father, that you would not leave us to ourselves. We are but worms of the dust. We are sinful and vile creatures. And we are in much need of your mercy and your grace. not only in our worship service, but as we go about in our daily lives. We desire to honor You, to serve You, to put You first in everything. And yet we recognize the warfare that goes on and how that we still have attractions to the things of this world. We still have sin that we battle against. We have the, the world and they that dwell therein to do, that do all that they can to hinder us. And as if that's not enough, we have the accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, who stirs up our minds, who causes us with languid spirits, and yet at the same time we do not want to have that mentality that it's all something else or someone else's fault. That we're not close to you as we ought because your word teaches that if we draw nigh to you, you will draw nigh to us. And 
and while we know that we are responsible in every way, we likewise know that without You we can do nothing. All we can do is treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Without Thy grace ruling in our hearts and in our minds. Again, we pray for faithful men who stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ this day. We ask our God for equity among ministers. We know of more than one that seems to be in a quandary, to say the least. And we would pray that you would spare, that you would bring about the desired repentance, that you would bring revival in our souls. Revive the work in the midst of the years, our God, we pray. And again, we pray that you would overturn, overturn, overturn in such a way that we might ever lead a quiet and a peaceable life as we live out our days upon the earth. And as we have heard men of old and the testimony of men of old, so likewise we would pray this day that you would choose our changes for us and that if we would fail in asking, that you would not fail in providing and giving those things that are needful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come back to... 1 John chapter 2 and we're mainly looking at that section of scriptures in verses 12 through 14. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. 
Last Lord's Day, we did point out that while there are different age groups in the kingdom of God, there are children, there are young men, there are old men, old women, yet at the same time, we must realize and know that in the spiritual realm, Sometimes a person that may be advanced in age might only be a child in Christ. And someone that is young might be advanced somewhat in their studies and knowledge of the Lord. The psalmist said that, uh, I believe it was Psalm 119, I forget uh, the exact verse, but in Psalm 119, it said something to the effect that uh, I have advanced above my elders or my seniors or, or the mature. And sometimes we see this where a person that is younger in age has uh, much spiritual understanding. Here we find there are uh, this, I write unto you little children. Uh, I want to point out that the word uh, little children in verse 12 is a different Greek word from the little children in verse 13. In other words, he said, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then in verse 13, uh, uh, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. And so we see that there is a distinction made here. And I'm of the opinion that the little children in verse 12, he's talking about all of God's children. In other words, it's a word that is normally uh, spoken of with regard to the people of God. In fact, in uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things write I unto you. The same Greek word. Same Greek word. And so... Uh, that's by way of interpretation. But I'm still going to uh, dwell upon that or use that and talk about little children, young men, and uh, fathers or the aged. And we're going to talk about that in a way that... Uh, is somewhat descriptive of God's children. Somewhat descriptive of God's children. By the way, this little children, not only in verses uh, 1 and two, uh, 12 of uh, chapter 2, but in verse 28, it's, and now, little children, abide in Him, 
that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And then also in chapter 3 and verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. And then verse 18 of chapter 3, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, neither in deed. First uh, John 4, 4, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them. And then First uh, John 5, 21, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So you can see how this Greek word for little children is used throughout the epistle to designate God's children. But he does make a distinction in verse 13 of little children. I will say this uh, before we get to it. There is a distinction between this word little children or children than the Greek word huios that we will come to later on when it talks about the sons of God in chapter 3. But we'll cover that when we get to it. There are other words for children uh, that even talk about a small child with unintelligible speech and so on, but we will not uh, go into that uh, at this time. Note that what it is with little children, your sins are forgiven. Not only with all of God's children do we need to emphasize that your sins are forgiven, but a child that is a believer, and that's not always easy to distinguish, we all have seen children that we thought maybe were converted, even made a profession of faith, and were baptized, And later on, when they got older, uh, it all went away. And yet, uh, uh, I have personally witnessed uh, children as small, uh, uh, something like three or four or five, that showed uh, conviction of sin and asked to be baptized and were baptized and are in their adult years now and in, I guess, in their 50s by now and still serving the Lord. So you can see all different kinds. And uh, though, sadly, uh, we see more that are young that seemingly go astray than those that are faithful. But nevertheless... Little children have need of the forgiveness of sins as well as adults. 
You know, we think sometimes because we're older and we understand more and we know more about the Word of the Lord, when we know more about the world, well, <clears throat> children's sins, they're just not all that important. They're little, little sins, but they're not. A troublesome child, whatever may be giving that child trouble, a troublesome child may not realize and know that their problem is more with God than with the circumstances around them. We know how that when we get out of sorts with ourselves or get out of sorts with someone else, that oftentimes we're out of sorts with God. And while we are older and may understand that, a child may not. And it takes great uh, insight in order to maybe uh, come to grips with that. But we need to realize and know that uh, little children have their sins forgiven them as well. A child at home that disobeys and yet shows a repentant spirit later not only needs to know that they are forgiven by the Lord, that they are also forgiven by their parents or maybe their siblings. And it may be that sometimes in our going about our daily lives, we seem to think, well, uh, they just don't understand and, and it's not all that important. No, it's just as important with a believing child as it is with a believing adult. Don't you want to know that your sins are forgiven? Maybe you have a cantankerous spirit someday. Or maybe week by week you have a cantankerous spirit. And you go to God again and again and again and again. And it gets to the point you wonder, well, has God really forgiven me? If I'm really forgiven, would, would I do this sin again? Or not? Well, beloved, I can assure you that uh, your sins uh, will always be there though they may not always be manifested in, in a way, and we need to trust in the, in the finished work of Christ. I was talking with an individual recently that uh, had a sin that troubled them years ago, and it's been years and years and years since they were ever uh, plagued with that sin and thought maybe they would never be plagued with it again. 
and recently had a dream about it just seemed like to uh, make it all alive again. And it reminded me of Brother Copeland. I don't know whether y'all were members there at Mossy Grove or not when this transpired. I don't remember whether I had moved there yet or not. But in one of the Sunday morning services when I was there during the song service, he wanted to say something. And naturally, I let him say something. But he too, the night before, it seems that had had a had a dream that seemed like it had made some sin alive in him. Here's a man in his nineties, and uh, and I re- related that to this person that I was talking to recently to to let him know that uh, without God we can do nothing. We need the Lord. We need the Lord. And it is a great blessing that many of our sins of our youth, God has blessed us to forget and think and have the have the uh, assurance that He has forgiven us. Sometimes there's the, there are one or two. Uh, maybe notable sins that continually plague us. Well, not only with adults, with little children, there may be the same. And we all need to realize and know that our sins are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins is not based on how you feel. Forgiveness of sins is based on the finished work of Christ. And the Scripture has plainly told us that if we put our trust in Him, and we are trusting in Him and Him alone, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. We don't have any small children around us. But if some come among us and they are troubled with their sins, let us remember that they need to know if they are a true believer that their sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. There may be consequences of sins. In other words, if a child has disobeyed in a parent in a particular way, it may be that discipline is required. But he can still know that his sin is forgiven. God chastens us, does He not? And why does He do it? That we be partakers of His holiness. That we might lift up the feeble knees 
and and the hands that hang down. That we might run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Too often is it presented that children are so are innocent and they don't know that they are what they're doing. Well, children know what they're doing. They know when they're being disobedient. They know when they're being disobedient. You can tell by the way they act. And therefore, they need to realize and know that they're sinners. But but even though they're sinners, they need to realize and know that if they're a believer, they are a forgiven sinner. And that we, prior to our regeneration, we were children of wrath even as others. Ephesians 2.1 tells us. We went astray as soon as we were born. Even David said that he was conceived in sin. Psalm 51, verse 5. And little children need to know of their sinfulness. But they also need to know that they are of the forgiveness of sins that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that their forgiveness is for the sake of Christ and not because of any supposed goodness or innocence that is on their part. You know, we live in a, in a twisted world. And we live in an age when most people blame their sins on someone else. On someone else. It's someone else's fault. It's not it's someone else's someone else is the reason why they are the way they are. heard of a situation not long ago where a child was violated the school rules and was to be expelled. And the parents, one of the parents, the parents, one of their statements was, well, the school just wanted to get rid of them instead of trying to help them. It's not the school's job to raise the child. I remember when I was teaching, uh, I had a parent to tell me on one occasion, well, I'd be glad when so-and-so, that was one of their children, uh, is under your care, maybe you can straighten them out. I said, if you do not teach your child and bring it up in the way that it should go at home, Don't expect me to be able to do the work that God has called you to do. But that's where we are in in society now. It's somebody else's fault. I'm the way that I am because of you. 
Well, little children need to know of their sinfulness. But they also need to know of the forgiveness of the Lord of their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is such a thing as believing children. There is such a thing as believing children. While we may not be covenant theologians and think all of our children are uh, have a head start on salvation because uh, the parent is a believer, still there are believing children. Look in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said in verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in Me. Which believe in Me. There is such a thing as little ones that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 9. Verse 42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in Me. So you see that there are little ones that do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how much do they believe? Don't know. Don't know. But I do know and can still remember Vividly, two young girls, I think they were around four or five years of age, weeping uncontrollably of their great sinfulness. Of their great sinfulness. And are still serving the Lord in their adult years. Believing children will show signs of regeneration. There will be a change. There will be a change. How much of a change? We cannot say. We cannot say how much of a change there will be with an adult. A man that is an adult, that is a drunkard, or has been on dope for years, he may have a lot of things to overcome and dry out in order to get all of that out of his system. But there'll still be a change. There'll be a change. And children that are persuaded by emotions and psychological manipulation to join a congregation or to make a profession are not believing children. I have had people that after, as a child that made a profession, were baptized uh, later on to tell me that they only did it because some of their friends were doing it. 
And yet, they blamed the congregation for the way they turned out. Go figure. Go figure. You know, just because somebody else does something and you think you need to do it because they do it, that's not a true believer. And in this day of psychological persuasion, much wisdom and care is to be taken to avoid giving false assurance to children. However, children are to be taught the gospel as well as the adults. Now this doesn't mean that you've got a different gospel for children. It's the same gospel. They believe the same gospel. You don't, you don't make a, a kiddie gospel. You preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James and John, they didn't have a chalkboard. They didn't have uh, uh, what's the puppets. They didn't have shows and things of that nature. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. No, there's only one gospel. There's not multiple gospels. And they, we must never forget that all of salvation is for the sake of the Lord. Just because a child joins the church or makes a profession doesn't give the congregation the right to gloat over that child as if they are something. As a child myself, prior to my conversion, I was no more converted than a goose. But the deacon in the congregation there usually did the leading of the singing. And he would get me up to stand beside him in leading the singing. And many of the congregation would brag on me and talk about how how nice that was and how sweet that was that I would take an interest in, in all of that. And I ate that up. But you know what I did when preaching started? I laid down on the pew and went to sleep. I had no interest in the Gospel. I had no interest in Christ. I had interest in people bragging on me. I had interest in that. So we must teach young people that whatever they do in the service of God is for Christ's sake, not for your sake. Creation and everything that takes place in it especially the redemptive work of Christ, is for the glory of God, first and foremost, and not for the benefit of man, first and foremost. 
It is for man's benefit, but not first and foremost. Everything's for the glory of God. And we need to keep that as adults in mind as we go about our daily lives. That what we do, we need to do it for the glory of God. True, we benefit from it. But why do you do your daily Bible reading? Out of habit? Or out of necessity? Or for the glory of God? I think some of mine may be more out of habit than for the glory of God. Or it may be because I can say, well, I've, I've kept my Bible reading up. How often do we sit down and pick up the Bible and say, Lord, help me to read this for Your glory, for Your honor. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to sit down and read your Bible and to do it by habit and be in a routine. That's good. That's good. But isn't it a lot better when God blesses it to our hearts and souls? And I'm one of those that believe that we need to read it anyway because I've given this analogy more than once. I don't remember every meal that I've eaten. But it kept me alive. And while I may not remember every time I read something out of the Scriptures, I'm sure, I'm certain it does my soul good. Whether I'm aware of it consciously, physically, or not, it did my soul good. And I'll say this again, while it is a blessing when God converts a child, we need to make sure that we give all the glory and honor to the Lord and not give undue attention. We do need to give attention. We need to give attention to all believers, but not undue attention, which we are quick to do sometimes we're quick to do sometimes and notice in verse 13 and without question it's this word little children I write unto you little children because you have known the father known the father You say, how much does a child know about God the Father? As much as God reveals to them. I can't say. He may reveal to one more than He does to the other. But we do know this, that children have a capacity to learn. Some will learn more than others. And some might even know more about God than others. And know God the Father. And know things from the least to the greatest. 
And it's sad today that children are immersed in pablum and electronic gizmos and all sorts of entertainment and hardly, if any sound, theological training to minister to the soul. There needs to be training, theological training to the soul. Theological training. You say, what do you mean? Are you talking about knowing about uh, uh, justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ? Are you talking about the uh, knowing omniscience and omnipresence of God and things of that nature? Yes, but not in those words. You teach them that God is the Creator. God made them. God made them for His glory. That they're sinners. Christ died for sinners. They're to seek Christ and things of that nature. Yes, they can learn a lot. Christ died for sins. Christ died for their sins if they are believers. We don't need to give them the idea that because they're children, Christ died for them. But they, Christ died for them if they are believers. If they are believers. This past week, Or maybe something I heard this morning. I can't remember whether this one particular man was this morning or yesterday. Left the idea that Christ died for their sins and all they had to do was believe. Christ only died for the sins of the elect. Children need to be taught that. That Christ didn't die for everybody. Children don't need to have a blank sheet any more than an adult does. Christ died for believers. He died for those who believe on Him. Died for those that love Him. Those that serve Him. But they need to be taught... Uh, well, some of you older folks, know what it is to have a cell phone that you don't know how to operate, but a child can. If they can learn to operate an electronic gadget, they can learn theology. Theology on their level. They can learn that Christ didn't die for everybody. They can learn that God had an elect before the world began. 
They can learn that Christ is the Son of God. They can learn God is the Creator. They can learn the basic truths of the, of the Scriptures and to do their souls good. Yes, they need to be taught. They need to be taught. Is it any wonder that our current generation is without discipline and ruled by people lacking not only common sense but moral decency? You know why? Because they don't know the Word of God. Or they hate it. They hate it. I know people that have told me to my face the things that I believe and the things that I preach, they hate. They hate. And they blame their mental... What's the word I'm looking for? Their mental insecurity because they were taught the Word of God. That's what this world is, is in. That's what it's coming to. The only thing that will do people good is to know the Word of God. Well, we've dwelt mainly on the uh, little children. He also talks about young men. <clears throat> young men. And the world has the idea that the youth are to sow their wild seed in their youth. That's not what we find here. We find here that the young, the young men, notice this, I write unto you, Young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Children in their youth, if they are a true believer, they overcome the wicked one. They don't sow their wild seed. In verse 14, it says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Quite plain here that the young men, and I'm using this for the youth, we'll say teenagers, young adults, they have overcome the wicked one. The idea that, oh, they're just teenagers and they've got a lot of this energy and they got to sow a lot of these seed and, and we can look over them for good. No. They're to live righteously and holily just like 
the others. In fact, the Word of God here says they have overcome the wicked one. They've overcome evil. Not only evil in the abstract, but they've overcome evil in the, in the concrete. They will not allow their friends to pull them down. They will serve the Lord. And for people that say they hold a, a lower standard for these young people and they uh, have to sow their wild oats, that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural according to these verses. Well, I've got quite a bit more to say about these young folks. I probably need to stop here. We'll take up there, Lord willing, next time. Because if I try to do it all now, we'll be here way longer than we need to be. Let's pray. Father, we do recognize that there are young people There are youth. There are the mature. There's all kinds in your kingdom. But it's the same standard of godliness for all age groups. We need to keep that in mind. We live in a world that tries to cubbyhole different people into different sections and different uh, categories and make excuses for sin. And while we do not want to break a fellow believer, whether it's a young child or an aged saint, we do not want to be guilty of excusing sin either. Even in our own selves. Help us, our God, to repent and draw nigh to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.